Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we will have a word of prayer. There's nothing like a song that says, I surrender all, that makes you just want to fall on your face before the Lord. Amen. Amen. He's worthy. And as we're anticipating getting into Romans 8, there, there may not be a better chapter in the Bible for us to spend our lives immersed in, to just get our hearts in it, to never get out of Romans 8, to always stay and swim in the waters of Romans 8. I mean, you want to learn how to surrender your whole life to God? Romans 8, drinking deeply from this well will radically transform your life. As we come before the Lord, let's ask His blessing on our time. Let's pray. Father, in many ways I tremble before this text because there is so much here for us. You have revealed such glorious truth for the Christian. And for those who do not know Christ, you have, re- you have revealed such glorious hope. And Father, when we need a ray of sunshine into our souls, you have revealed that to us in Romans 8. Lord, it's like a beam going right into our hearts. And I pray that your spirit would bring your word in power into our hearts, that you would minister to our souls where we need to hear this truth, God, that you would perform surgery in our hearts. Lord, grow us, sanctify us, strengthen us. Do what only you can do through your word. And I pray that you would help me to move out of the way, that your spirit would just bring your word in power. And Father, that you would come upon this time, and that you would come upon each of our hearts that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. And as we ascend the mountain of Romans 8, and, 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 and as we ascend to the peaks of glorious, God-inspired, gospel-drenched truth, I pray that we would receive help today in a time of need. So we ask in the majestic name of Jesus that you would bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of my favorite novels um, is a novel called Les Miserables. And if you're not, not familiar with Les Miserables, they've made a few movies about it. Liam Neeson, I think, is in one of them. But the, the novel is essentially about uh, a man who lived in the underworld of Paris, and his name was Jean Valjean. And it's, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of a man who gets justified when he was totally guilty. It's a story of a man who gets set free and gets a new lease on life. And um, the story kind of starts out where Jean Valjean is uh, a boy and he steals a loaf of bread to feed his hungry belly. So he's, you know, a teenager and he just steals a loaf of bread. And for that crime, he's sentenced to 19 years in prison. And so in prison, he would become more hardened. He'd have to do inhuman things like, like difficult, hard things, hard labor. He would become more corrupt, more vile as that sentence went on. And finally, he gets let out as a, as a grown man. And he's got nothing. He's left to wander the streets of Paris trying to find food, trying to find shelter, trying to find help, nobody would, would open their door to him. Because he was a convict. Who's, who wants to let that into their home? And so Valjean would go from door to door to door to finally the last house on the street was a priest. And the priest opens his home, lets Valjean in, feeds him, 
clothes him, gives him a place to stay. And Valjean has never experienced this kind of kindness before. But in the middle of the night, he wakes up with cold sweats, wondering what to do, and he only goes to what he knows. So he begins to rob this house and this home, and he takes all the money and the, the, the silver candlesticks and all the expensive items that he could find, and on his way out the door, he encounters the priest. And in a moment of like self-protection, just frightened, not knowing what to do, he strikes the priest to the ground, and he's off into the night. And it wasn't long before Valjean would be caught by the authorities because he's this convict running around with a knapsack of all sorts of fine china and, and, and silverware and, and expensive things. And he's claiming to have been given those from the priest. So, of course, they escort him back to the home of the priest. And there's this scene, it's a powerful scene. If you've ever seen the movie, it's a powerful scene where he's being led up to this house where the priest lives. The priest comes out, the authorities are there. Valjean is totally guilty. He's ready for a whole nother lifetime in prison. And the authorities ask the priest, did, he, did you give him these things? And he says, Valjean, you, you, you not only forgot, uh, or, or not only did I give you these things, but you forgot the other items. And he comes out with more silver, puts it in his knapsack, and says, and whispers in his ear in this moment, out of the earshot of the police, and he says, don't ever forget that you have promised to use this silver to become an honest man. And Valjean doesn't remember that promise at all. And, and he says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul I'm buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it back to God. And Valjean is just dumbstruck. In awe, he has been set free when he was totally guilty. He's been pardoned and given a new lease on life. And what was a man who was totally corrupt, totally vile, is now totally new. And, and, and the novel depicts him as coming to Christ in that moment. He comes to Christ. He comes to Jesus. He gets forgiven of his sins and he gets set free. And now he begins to live a different way. And the whole novel is about the redemption that Valjean experienced being played out in his life. Because no condemnation in Christ leads to new obedience. And that, brothers and sisters, is exactly what Romans 8 is about. It doesn't stop at no condemnation. It leads to new obedience and new life in Jesus Christ. So we're going to read this text again that we lingered over last week. We highlighted verses 1 and 3, and we're going, to, we're going to lean into verses 2 and 4. But I want you to see the flow of the text in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. This is God's holy word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the priest said to Valjean. No condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that 
the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation leads all the way to a new life being lived out in the Spirit, according to the Spirit, where you're fulfilling the, the, the law of God that's been written on your heart and you're living a different way. That's what happened in Valjean's life. And that is the story of every Christian who has been born again, who has come out from under the no condemnation verdict, or condemnation verdict, to no condemnation in Christ, and then set free to live a completely different way. And if we haven't experienced that freedom, then we're just going through religious sort of rituals. There's no power. So I want to look at this passage and I want to see that no condemnation must come before new life. And then I want us to look a little bit more at the new freedom that we can have that the Spirit sets us free from sin's dominion and sin's penalty. And then lastly, we're going to look at what that walking in the Spirit, that new obedience is supposed to look like. So truth number one, no condemnation before new life. Look again at verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. So if you're in Christ, there's not an ounce of condemnation before God for you. He's removed it all by pouring it on His Son in your place, on a cross. The wrath was born. The, the, the Son bore the full weight of condemnation for our sins in Christ and were set free. And then verse 2 says, the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3 reminds us what God has done to do it. And then lastly, verse 4 has that in order that. Do you see that's a purpose clause right there? In order that. Why is this all happening? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God means to make men new. God means to make women new. God means to make kids new. So new, real, transformed living comes out of your life. It's been said that pardon precedes power. Getting right with God precedes doing right for God. Justification has to come before sanctification. And so many people are on the treadmill of trying to be good enough for God because they've never come to terms with the reality that the Gospel is God's good news that He sent Jesus to do it for you. And then transform you so that you begin to live and become like Jesus through the newness of the Spirit. So the fruit of a holy life is not going to bloom for us until the root of justification by faith takes root in our hearts. So wh where are you at today in that equation? Have you experienced that no condemnation verdict that verse 1 talks about? Have you experienced the freedom of the Spirit coming into your life that's causing you to live a, a new way? It's like you don't love the things you used to love. And God has become big in your estimation and you see God in a different way. You care more about God. Your life is revolving around Christ and no longer around yourself. So, when a man comes out from under the weight of condemnation, it's like we saw in Les Miserables. 
Valjean starts to live a new way. Transformation in his soul begats transformation in his life. And that's what we're after here. When you're, when you're experiencing the dark clouds of Romans 7 and the, the struggle with sin, if you look back just a few verses to verse 21, listen to this struggle. This is a struggle going on. So I find, Paul says, it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's the world we live in. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God with my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you feel that? It's a cloud. It's a cloud. It's a wrestling with sin. And then the ray of sunshine. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how it happens. That's how no condemnation breaks into your life and brings the sunshine of a new life lived out for God in the Spirit. So Romans 8 is like this ray of light. It's this ray of hope. It's this beautiful fire that God wants to stoke in your soul. He desires to you to see the sweetness of what it means to be delivered from the sure wrath of God. Jesus once said in John 5.24, He said, truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but He has passed from death to life. Do you hear it? He's passed from death to life. He's passed from condemnation to no condemnation. So what would happen in our souls if we truly drank from that well and we realized the freedom we have that no more condemnation before the face of God you don't have to run from God. You don't have to hide from God if you're in Christ. You, you don't have to fake it. God has liberated you. If you try to get sanctified before you're justified, you perish. That's called works salvation. That's called trying to take your good works and bring it before God and try to earn it. And nobody can do it because we fail to love God and love one another every single day. So if we don't have the justification, then we'll be always living, feeling the condemnation, feeling the fear, feeling the terror, and not the smile of God living under that with a zeal for holiness and a fruit-bearing desire for obedience in our life. So as we examine, as, as we're thinking about this, we're examining our hearts. Have you come to Christ truly in faith? Receive this gift. And is it showing up in the evidence of the Spirit empowering setting you free, helping you live differently than you ever would. Would the Apostle Paul still be persecuting Christians if God did not say no condemnation? Absolutely. If, if Jesus doesn't get a hold of his heart, he's still living the way he was, a Pharisee trying to obey the law to the T, and he ends up a murderer hunting down Christians. He needed to be set free. He needed to have a Jean Valjean awakening. So that's truth number one. We've got to get, can't get the cart before the horse. Justification precedes sanctification. Pardon from God precedes power to live the Christian life. 
Truth number two. New freedom because we've been set free in Christ. There's new freedom. Have you thought about that? There's new freedom. There's a sense in which this freedom is the freedom that all of us have been aching for our whole life till it dawns. It's like being shackled in a prison and finally the shackles come off and you walk out and you can actually see the sunlight of a day like this and walk out and feel the glow. Because this freedom has, has come in. Look at it in verse 2. For the law, and remember we said last week that this idea of law, is, it really means more like power. So for the power of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the power of sin and death. If you're a Christian, the power of sin has been broken over your life. Glorious. Before I knew the Lord, all I wanted to do was sin. All I wanted to do was live my own way. I could care less about God. But there's also a religious way to do that. There's a religious way to try to kind of like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of like, I'm going to kind of fake the God thing a little bit because I know that's what everybody expects in the culture. They just expect that we do a little bit of Jesus. But new life is never broken in. Power has never come. Sin just seems to dominate and enslave and ensnare and shackle. And you feel totally just like I can't get out from its grip. Because new birth needs to happen. It's not enough just to get new religion. You've got to get new life. The spirit of life has to set you free in Christ Jesus. That's the application of the work of the gospel on your heart. And it's what the law could never do. Sometimes we try to like line up all the rules and it's like, if I just do these rules for myself, more rules, more, you know, fences around the rules and that'll fix me. But you're still addicted. You're still sleeping with your boyfriend. You're still struggling with proud heartedness and gossip. Because new life hasn't broken in. Verse three, for God has to do something for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. Did you see that? It's weakened by the flesh. Our flesh makes the law not do the job that it's supposed to do. It's supposed to keep us in line, but what happens is our flesh is so weak, it arouses things. How many parents know when you say, don't eat the candy in the pantry? What happens? It's like the very law provokes the sin to come out. And it's not that the law is bad. Paul just spent chapter 7, defending the law of God, saying the law is holy, good, and right. We are the problem. Our brokenness. Isn't it amazing that when you say, don't eat the candy in the pantry, like, it's just like a, a magnet. It's like, I, I, I must go steal candy. You know, like, that's, that's how. But that's us, is that not? Sometimes, in, 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 you know, the Lord gives us children sometimes to be like a parable of our own hearts living over and over and over again. You're just like, how is this not happening? You're not getting this. I, I, I said it like three or four times and you're still going into the pantry. Because the law was never meant, or, or, or our flesh sees the law and it wants to do the opposite. It's weakened by the flesh. So God has to do something and it's called the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, there's only one reason that the light went on. Because the Spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, there's only one reason that you're not in darkness. Because the Spirit's put a spotlight on you and said, here's the light. Look at Jesus. You were given eyes to see. The Bible calls it new birth. It, it calls it being born again. It calls it 
when, when God begins to grab a hold of somebody's heart and do what the law never could. We have to be set free in Christ. Now, what are the kinds of uh, freedom we see here in verse 2? Look at this. This is, is pretty profound when you think about it. You've been set free in Christ Jesus from the law or the power of sin and death. So what is Paul saying there? He's, he's saying that you need to be set free by the Holy Spirit applying the gospel. You need to be set free from the power of sin's dominion and grip and you need to be set free from the judicial penalty or the consequence of sin, which is death. It's right there. Paul just so succinctly says it right there in one verse and says you need both kinds of freedom to begin to live differently. If sin's stranglehold is on you and you love it more than Jesus, you will never live new life. But for a Christian who's been born again and been set free from the power of sin's grip, it's like this stranglehold has been broken and now there's a battle. There was never a battle present in my life before Christ. I just did sin and I love doing sin. And sure, I might have been guilty when I got caught. I, I, you know, I apologize. But we, we, we keep doing it because we love it. We love the rebellion. We love the rebellion. We keep going after it. But when God gets a hold of our heart, then the battle really begins. Because now the Spirit's in your life. And now the indwelling sin that Romans 7 was talking about, like I, I feel like evil's close at hand. The good I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those things I'm struggling with. There is a battle going on and the Spirit of God has been given to Christians to set them free from both the power and penalty of sin so that they can live the Christian life. You will make no progress in the Christian life if we don't understand and see this. Sin's penalty has been decisively broken. Listen to Romans 6.20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were set free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things that you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That's the fruit you were getting. It was death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Did you see that? It was like you were getting death when you kept going after sin. Only bad things come from going into the pantry and stealing the candy. Or that illicit relationship. Or that enslaving addiction that nobody knows about. You keep going to it. It's, it's, it's functioning like a god to you. Because Christ is not sweet in your life. Because sin is dominating. The power's still there. You're, you're, you're feeling the penalty. You're seeing like destructive things happening in your life. Clearly, the consequences of fruit in the life of somebody who's pursuing sin is always going to be death. Spiritual and physical death. We saw that when we looked at Genesis 3, right? Death came upon Adam and Eve. They were banished from the garden, and now they die. But another Adam came to set people free and to break the bondage and the condemnation and to deliver us from the just penalty our sin deserves. That's what that passage is saying. I'm reminded of Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read the book, it's an allegory of the Christian life. And, and the main character's name is Christian. And he's on this pilgrimage from being like, like stuck in sin and, 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 and struggling. And he's, he's, he's realizing like this sin thing is not all it's cracked up to be. My life 
life is miserable and I keep struggling and struggling. And so the, the picture of his life as he goes on and on, it's, it's a picture of like sin and condemnation, like a weight on his back. And the longer he lives, the more it grows and the more immense it gets. And it strangles the life out of him. And the burden and the condemnation keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's unbearable and he can't stand it. And he wants to just rip his hair out. Because he can't shake it loose. And then he sees Christ. And as he looks to Christ, that burden that's just been hanging on his back, ever growing, just falls to the ground. And he's set free. And he begins to run up the mountain. And it's a picture of the Christian life. Sin's condemnation, sin's penalty, sin's grip being broken. And now he's running towards the king and living out the gospel. And that is exactly what verse 2 is saying. For the Spirit of life has set you free in who? In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We look and we're liberated. We trust and we're transformed. Christ is enough to deal with the burdens on your back. Until then, we will not be delivered from that grip. That, that, that grip that ensnares. Paul says this in, in Romans 6.14. He says the same thing just a little bit earlier in Romans. He says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. If you're under grace, if you've received pardoned, if you've been forgiven, if you've looked to Jesus, you're not under sin, but you're under grace. There's a freedom there. That does not mean that we don't struggle with sin. It means the struggle has begun. And it means we have power to fight. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan comes onto the scene and what happens in Narnia, everyone is under the white witch's spell. And it's not until Aslan comes and people start looking to Aslan that the spell is broken, that they're free from the white witch's spell. And such is the case with sin and bondage and satanic deception. We will never be free of it. Until we look to the one who can liberate us. Perhaps life has been more discouraging and less progress has been made because we've not been awakened to just what it means for Christ to set us free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Now we've already seen the presence of sin still remains. Just a few verses later in Romans 8, um, you see this battle going on. And in, in, in verse 12, um, Paul says, So then, brothers, he's talking to Christians, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You don't want to live that way. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, there's the Spirit again, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see what's happening there? It's the same thing as in verse 4. Verse 4 says, you don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So now if the Spirit is in your life, by the way, the Spirit is mentioned 20 times in Romans 8. And only 13 other times in the book of Romans itself. So the Spirit dominating our lives is the road to assurance, brothers and sisters. If you have the Holy Spirit, that brings assurance into your life. And the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. So you have the, you have the heart to keep moving forward and keep fighting sin and keep putting it to death. That's what it means to no longer be under its dominion, but under grace. 
one of the great Puritan thinkers and theologians of the Great Awakening was Jonathan Edwards. And he saw this idea like being fleshed out. He went through, he lived through the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening. And his church experienced Great Awakening. At one point, he said that anybody over the age of 16 got saved. Like that's how many people. There were like 300 conversions. And they, they, they saw massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit just coming in power. But he saw over time, he saw that there needs to be some discernment here because some were genuine conversions of, and works of the Spirit. And some were this counterfeit sort of grace was going on. And listen to what he says here as he's kind of like summing up the reality of this. He says, true grace reaches the very bottom of the heart. Counterfeit grace never dispossesses sin of the dominion of the soul, nor destroys its reigning power there. Basically, that's a puritanical way of saying sin needs to be decisive. The grip needs to be decisively broken in your life. That happens when grace gets a hold of you and the spirit empowers you. And you're set free by the no condemnation verdict. Sin doesn't operate the same way in your life because now you have power to fight against it. Now you have the freedom of knowing that God's smile is on you and that you're never going to go to the Father with your sin like one who knows he's headed for hell. You're coming to him as a son goes to a father and receiving the discipline and care of a loving father. That's way different than coming to God like, I, I, I'm on my way to hell and I'm afraid of you. But instead saying, I sin and I struggle and Lord, forgive me. I want to have I want to live a different way. Would you empower me with your spirit and would you help me to bear fruit in my life? And if you don't talk to God like that, surely I encourage you to, because that's the, the thing that Edwards was after. Are my people fighting sin? Or did they just get razzle-dazzle one day? You know, they got a little bit of razzle-dazzle. They went to a, a, a great meeting somewhere and, and something happened, but they're not living for Jesus ever since. Little Joey said the prayer, but his life is just totally ungodly and he's living in sin. He doesn't care about the things of God. Well, that's not Christianity. There's new life in Christ. And the Christian cannot keep on going the way of the flesh. He must move into the way of the Spirit. And you see it there in verse 2. The Spirit of life has set you free. The freedom comes in Christ. And then the power comes to break sin and death. That's what we're after, brothers and sisters. That's the kind of life I want to live. It's, it, it, it moves us out of this Eeyore thing, okay? What I mean by Eeyore Christianity is like, woe is me, I did it again, you know? And you live in that world and everything is always terrible. You're always like having a rough day and there's no new life shooting out of you. There's no fruit happening in your life because you're all consumed with you and you've not been set free to live a different way. And Eeyore Christianity needs a good injection of Romans 8 Christianity. Now, I want to be careful with consciences here. I, I know we all struggle with discouraging thoughts. We all struggle in this battle with sin, and sometimes it gets the upper hand. But the spirit that liberates us is the same spirit that draws us back. Because it indwells us. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God and He indwells us. And so He unsettles us when we're living in ways that we know we shouldn't. Or in relationships we shouldn't be in. The Spirit's not going to... You're going to have something gnawing at you. That you need to get right. So... We've seen 
No condemnation comes first. Spirit's going to set you free. We need that freedom and we need to live in that world. And then the last thing is we see a new obedience flowing. Look at verses 3 and 4 together. This is a walk. This is what it looks like to live walking by the Spirit. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By what? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that. Now all of this has been moving towards this in order that. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So it's as if we need to treasure the cross of Christ to begin to live in that in order that so that we live the transformed life that we were meant to. And notice that verse 3 reminds us that Jesus' life offered up on the cross on Calvary, crucified for you, bearing the wrath in your place, that life was meant to produce godliness in you. The, the work of the cross is about more than justification. It's about sanctification being expressed in your life. It's about new living and a new kind of life flowing out of the people of God in the world as salt and light. And if we look just like the world, if we look just like the world, if our marriages look just like the world, if our Christianity is no different from what you get out there in Islam or when you get out there in a synagogue. That's not the new life Jesus is talking about. He's talking about it in order that he's talking about verse four in order that God's design for your life would be truly lived out, that you'd live in a, a different way. It's attractive. The Spirit is drawing people to you because they see the radiant life lived out. They see a new kind of love. They see a new kind of marriage. They see a new kind of heart. They see a new kind of desire for entertainment. They see a new kind of way of living that is so glorious, so attractive, that they awaken to their need. I want that. picture and it was promised long ago in the Old Testament listen to how the new covenant New Testament promise of Jesus was meant to work out in the people of God in two prophets say this very same thing Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33 says for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He'll write the law of God in their hearts and they will be his people living a new way. That's something that never happened in the Old Testament. In fact, what you see when you look back in the Old Testament is the people of God always failing to live out the law of God and the judgment of God keeps falling. The judgment of God and then God sends a prophet. They repent. They get grace. The book of Judges where everybody does what's right in their own eyes, which is much like our day, that was the pattern. The people sin and rebel against God. He sends a judge to proclaim the truth of God. They get convicted, repent, turn to God, are forgiven for a season, and then they go right back into the pattern. No, not so, Jeremiah says. There's going to be a day when I send my son and I put my spirit in the hearts of people and I write my laws on their hearts and they live totally different. They're not perfect, but they're living for me. And they know they're my people. And I'm their God. And I'm walking with them. And I put my spirit inside them so they got a guarantee that I'm with them. That's what Jeremiah is looking forward to. Ezekiel says the same thing. Except he says we need a spiritual heart transplant 
to get into the new covenant blessings. Verse, or, uh, Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and do what? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's the new covenant promise of what Jesus meant to do for the people of God. The book of Ephesians is all about God creating a people where he could take people from all different tribes and ethnicities and backgrounds, put them together in this church because they've been redeemed, because they've been transformed. They can coexist together. It's the opposite of what you see in our culture. There is so much racial division. There's so much racial strife. We can't even get what it, right what it means to be a boy or a girl. What are they going to see if they don't see it in the church, brothers and sisters? If they don't see it writ large in the church, who are we? But oh, the Lord has given us the Spirit of God. He's given you the Holy Spirit to walk another way. And this should play out in our lives. Not walking according to the flesh. That's the way the world walks but according to the Spirit. And if you want some confirmation that this idea is other places in Romans, we'll just look at one. Romans 7.4, we read it earlier. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may do what? You may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. In order that, we may bear fruit for God. We were always meant to live a different way. We were always meant to be totally new. We were always meant to live a new kind of life. And when revival hits the church, they wake up to their need for this. And we repent and we turn to God and we say, Lord, do a fresh work. We need a fresh outpouring of your spirit because we're asleep. And then the fire gets lit. And then this new kind of obedience begins to happen. Not perfectly, because Paul does have a Romans 8 struggle, but he's got a or Romans 7 struggle, but he's got a Roman, Romans 8 antidote. The Spirit of God moving and working in the hearts of the people of God to live according to a different drumbeat, no longer under the dominion of darkness. Life in the Spirit has come, and we're called to live in step with the Holy Spirit. So what might this look like in our lives? What might this look like? Maybe a new hunger for God's Word. Maybe a new priority to read it, memorize it, study it. Maybe just a God-centeredness instead of a self-centeredness being born out in your life. You want God. To be more about God. I need to be more about God than I am about Peter Phillips. It might mean taking some time to disciple somebody in the church. Maybe one day a month you commit to discipling. And maybe you feel like, hey, I've put in my years, I've, I've, I've done my, 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 my due service. Brothers and sisters, in the twilight of your life, those, those are some of the sweetest years to disciple people. Don't ever give up on this living a new way. This is what you were made for. Your soul will shrivel without it. Maybe it looks like coming to service on a Wednesday night and just coming before the throne of grace like you want revival in your life and in this church and in this culture because you see the stuff knocking on our door. You see the twistedness. You see the perversion. You see the flesh. And you want to live different because you want to be like a sign 
We've got all sorts of stuff around there about a pride day. How about a day where we exalt Jesus? It's called Wednesday night prayer meeting. Let it shine, brothers and sisters. Sunday morning, we preach this Gospel because it's glorious. And because He saves people who are totally trapped in this stuff in the world. And maybe you feel trapped today. Maybe you're in here and you feel so far from this. And God is calling you to repent. And put your trust in Christ. And remember the no condemnation verdict. And if you've never tasted it, come to Jesus now. Do not delay. Do not delay. Whatever you're into, whatever you're struggling with, you've got to turn from that sin to Christ. And He sets you free. You're like pilgrim. And you've got the burden on your back and you need it lifted. And only Jesus is big enough to do it. And that's what He did on Calvary's cross. You're never too young to come to Jesus. And you're never too old. As long as you have breath, you come to Christ and He will set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need a work of Your Spirit in our souls. We need a work of Your Spirit to live a different way. Father, I need it. I pray that Your people would get it. I pray that we as Your people would get it. I pray that, that those who may be drawn by your, your love and Your power and Your grace to Jesus, to a fresh awareness of their need to, for Jesus today, I pray that they would come right now and in their hearts, they would commit their lives to you. That they would say, I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender. Set me free from the law of sin and death. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I believe that He can save me and make me new. Oh Lord, would you set our hearts ablaze for the glory of the Gospel and help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.